Blog Talk Radio. Mark 
Then we're going to hit you off with the NBA Finals uh, preview. We're going to talk about uh, Tim Duncan's remarks. Uh, we're going to break down the matchups. We're going to talk about the coaching, the stars, the role players, and intangibles. We're going to give you all of that. Um, we're going to hit you off with the Resistance Digital Dog of the Week. And then we're going to get into some news stories that we thought were interesting this week that we wanted to share with you all. Uh, and then we'll also hit you off at the end with the XL Academics last word, XL Academics, changing the world one mentor at a time. Uh, we are going to uh, drop the last word this week. Devon's going to take back. So that's what we have for you. Again, slamming show. We're going to make sure it's a jam-packed 90 minutes. Uh, we're just going to jump right into it. As we always do about this time, I'm going to hit you off like this. Fellas, one thing we need to say. Shall we say it, y'all? Melvin, Jimmy, Coleman, Ryan, say it. Everybody want to get funky one more time. Yes, sir. This edition and every edition of the Funky Editorial is brought to you by On the Rocks and Rocks for Illinois. Make sure you check out our man Craig Sockwell at On the Rocks and Rocks for Illinois. Great food, great establishment, great atmosphere. Make sure you stop in and tell them the uh, real sports guy sent you. Fellas, all the pieces matter. The Thunder and the Indiana Pacers were both eliminated this past weekend. Both started out the season with championship aspirations. Um, I think in both cases, you have to say, given what they wanted to do, they fell short. Um, The first question I want to ask to to you two is, would you consider this season a disappointment for either franchise? I'll start with you, D. Wills. Yeah, I I think, um, well, probably more so for the Pacers than the Thunder. And the reason why I say that is that the, the Pacers are more demonstrative about their goals and what they wanted to do. And um, we still have questions, question marks about the Thunder in terms of where Westbrook was going to be, how some of these other things were going to play out. But I think they both had high aspirations. But I think I'm probably a little bit more concerned with the Pacers because, you know, I think all the pundits, everybody thought that they were ready to take it over in the East and, 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 and make that push for the title. Um, they came in the season with that kind of swagger, and the wheels just fell off right here down the stretch. And just I've never seen a meltdown of this type, whereas um, uh, OK City, we knew they were going to challenge. We knew they were going to go, but we knew the run coming out of the West was going to be tough. Um, you know, I, I think they got the max out of probably what they can do, um, the way that they're constituted. But, you know, even both of them, I think, were, if you're thinking about the teams that could win, we're thinking, I just think the, the Pacers are, are, are probably more disappointing just because of the way that they communicated what their goals were going to be and the way they were doing it all season, what the expectations were about them coming out the East, and, uh, and then their, their catastrophic fall down this stretch. Okay. Uh, PhD, your thoughts on, on, on this idea of – What's the disappointment for either team? Uh, so for the Pacers, no. I, I I think the Pacers overachieved this season. If you had asked them in the beginning of the season, you know, if you were able to push the Miami Heat to six games, would you be happy with that? They'd probably say no. But if you were to ask them, hey, if you get to the conference finals, you push Miami to six games, um, would that be a disappointing season? I still think they would say no. Um, the problem was with the 
Pacers, they started off so fast. I mean, <laughs> these cats, you know, won 30 of their first 40 games. I mean, they looked unbeatable at times. So given the turn that they had, that was disappointing because now you question, do they have the pieces and the chemistry to move forward? The, the Thunder, I think it was certainly a disappointment. Um, I disagree with Devon a little bit because I see the Thunder as in this danger spot of becoming those mid-90 Orlando Magic. You know, the Orlando Magic that made it to the finals. They had so much potential. Uh, that year, year two Jordan was gone. They lost. Uh, I believe they got swept by, the, by Hakeem's Rockets. But they had so much talent. They had a young Shaq, a Penny. They had really good supporting players with Nick Anderson, D. Scott, I'm sorry, D3, um, you know, Horace Grant. They had a decent bench. But they never really turned the corner. And I think that the Thunder are in danger of becoming that same thing because they clearly have the talent. Now, <laughs> I will say it's tough to win when Derek Fisher is playing 40 minutes in a, in a close-out game. Um, but... <laughs> but but uh, you know, I I would clearly say it was a disappointment. See, I, I would I would disagree because the Pacers said that if they got a game seven, that was the difference in their house. They got it, and they still couldn't do anything with it. And they were basically saying, "We we the weird number one seed, we win in this," and they didn't. And so I think that's in, in okay city. OKC never came out that way. You always knew the Clippers were going to be tough. There's a lot of tough teams in the West. Yeah, you know they were elite teams, but even, you know, looking at the San Antonio and, and how they played this year, Houston, I mean, they knew they were supposed to make a run, but they knew it was going to be difficult versus the Pacers in, in the Heat always knew it was going to be about them. And the Pacers clearly articulated they got a game seven in their house and, and home court advantage, they were going to win. That was their, that was their mantra from the beginning. They said that throughout the season. And then it didn't happen. That's got to be a catastrophic failure. There is no shame. There was no shame when the Knicks lost to the Bulls in the conference finals, when the Pacers lost to the Bulls in the conference finals. Uh, I mean, there's no shame when they lost to those great dynasty Bull teams. Honestly, I think that the Pacers of 2014 fit in the same boat. I mean, even Vogel. No, said, I think Vogel they say the Pistons. I don't think they think they're New York. I think they think they're the Pistons, and they're the next to the throne. I don't. I don't see them see themselves as New York and everything else. I thought. I thought they came in the season more like the Pistons trying to beat the Celtics, the Pistons trying to yeah. beat the Lakers. I think that's the. I think that's the way they approached it, and they just thought this was going to happen. I, I don't think. I don't think they see themselves as the Knicks. They see themselves more like the up and coming Pistons. I think that's how they frame themselves. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't see them as the Knicks either. Um, I'm just simply saying there was no shame when the Knicks or Pacers lost to the Bulls. You know, you gotta be, you gotta be laughing because I know how you feel. I know how you see them. I know how you describe them. So yeah, we, hopefully we'll share that later on. But you have your last week, so you don't see them as the Knicks. I want to. I, I, I think you have a more descriptive way of describing them. But hopefully we can get to that. Yeah, uh, and, I, and I do want to get to that in a moment. Well, the thing I wanted to add as you guys kind of uh, go listening to you guys go back and forth, um, I probably lean more towards the Pacers season being a disappointment simply not because of um, – not necessarily because of the results, 
Um, you know, like you said, PNG, I, I agree with you on that. I don't think there's any shame in losing to a team the level of the, the Heat um, in six games. I don't think there's any shame in that. Um, where I do think it was a failure for Indiana is you're going to have to make some significant changes to get over that hump. Um, I think the roster that is constituted right now is not a championship roster, and it's not a roster that I think, given the pieces that they have, can effectively uh, uh, is going to be able to get past the Heat. And not only is it not going to be able to get past the Heat, um, but I think it's actually I think they've peaked with this particular group, and they don't have um, any young pieces that are still developing. And that's what I see with the Thunder. The Thunder, you know, they have to realize that Westbrook, Ibaka, and Durant, that's their core, but that's not enough. And that's, that, that's just it's been shown the last two years. Those three alone are not enough. Reggie Jackson, Jeremy Lamb, Stephen Adams, Perry Jones III, some of these young pieces that they've been kind of incubating for the last two, two years since they've moved James Harden. Next year, one of those guys has got to step up. One of those guys has got to step up. And that can happen. So there's internal growth that the Oklahoma City Thunder can still have. But I don't think there's any more room for growth with this group of Pacers. Um, and I think they have to start to look at dismantling this group. And I don't know if that's what they were going into this season thinking about. I don't think they, they thought coming out of this season they were going to really have to question whether or not Roy Hibbert, one, is worth the max deal, and two, is a piece that you can really build around. I thought that they, at the beginning of the season, I, I would bet they probably thought he was, he, was, he was a solid guy. That Even the first half of the season, they thought that he was a guy that was a part of their core. Um, you know, right now, Lance Stevenson, he's probably on the outs. Um, David West is headed towards the downside of his effectiveness. He's still got a couple good years left, but he's not getting much better. Um, Louis Scola didn't work out. Um, some of the moves they made to solidify the bench didn't really pan out the way they hoped they would. Evan Turner was a bust um, twice, which is amazing. How do you bust twice? <laughs> um, so that didn't work out. Um, George Hill is a good guard. Um, it looks like he's more of a six-man kind of a player rather than a, a uh, championship-level lead guard. So really right now, the Pacers are looking at they got one chip to build around, and that's Paul George. Now, PAZ, you had a great insight on this particular team. When me and you were going back and forth over text as we were watching uh, the last game of the uh, – these last couple of games of the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, you wanted, I'm, 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 I'm going to let you go ahead and kind of break down that, that whole perspective that you laid out over text. Yeah, so when I was watching this Pacer team, like Devon mentioned earlier, they reminded me of a team on the cusp, a team that is just looking to get over the hump. You know, like Devon mentioned, the Pistons had to get by the Celtics, then they had to get by the Lakers, you know, and we know the song and dance in terms of what the Bulls had to do. When I'm watching this team, I said to you all that, this year's Pacers, and even last year's to a certain extent, they remind me of the night, like the 90s Bulls, the Bulls of the 90s, without Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I think about back when uh, that first year when Jordan 
well, the only year Jordan was out completely playing baseball because the following year he came back, you know, played the last tenth of the regular season and lost in the playoffs to the Magic. But uh, that 93-94 team when Pippen was a first-team All-NBA guy, um, it was really the first time and, and the only time that he led the, you know, that he was the guy. He averaged 22-9 and six assists, um, almost three steals a game. I mean, he was a beast. And Paul George reminds me of a young Scottie Pippen. Not the Scottie Pippen I just mentioned, but a young, emerging Scottie Pippen, a guy who could tear you up in a lot of different ways. I think George is a more talented scorer than Pippen. Um, but the thing that Pippen had to battle was just that inconsistency. You know, you you just didn't know quite what you were going to get from Pippen, you know, up until that first championship year. I mean, he was just kind of somewhat inconsistent. And, you know, you could look at a guy like uh, Hibbert, you know, as as that three-headed monster that they had in the post. You know, although Hibbert's getting that, you know, <laughs> that max money. But it just reminded me of a team that, is missing that lead dog. They're a team that they have guys that if everything lines up, they can't be beat. Honestly, being a Miami Heat fan or a LeBron fan, I was was kind of scared about the Pacers all year because I felt if the Pacers were playing their best, they could beat the Heat this year. And I still feel that way. And, you know, I kind of disagree with some of the statements you guys made a few minutes ago that the Pacers need to shake things up. I don't think they need to. I think another year of experience and another year of progression is going to lead to another year of consistency. And I believe if the Heat don't do some things to improve, they're not going to be as good as they've been in the last couple of years. I mean, Dwayne Wade, they have done everything to squeeze as much juice out of that orange. I mean, right now that orange is starting to dry up. I mean, they are, <laughs> they are trying to squeeze it to get every little drop out of it. And, you know, like I mentioned last week, Bosch is a guy who used to get to the line eight, nine times a game. This guy getting to the line three times a game now. I mean, this formula just won't work unless they do some major upgrades. So I agree that the Pacers ideally could do some upgrading, but when you think about just the dynamics of their contracts, what they've invested, um, you know, even giving up Stevenson, I just don't know if, given the constraints of their salary cap, and they're not a team that's going to go way into the luxury tax. They're not. You know, I don't know if there's much else out there if they're going to be able to upgrade compared to if they give themselves another year to mature. And Doing that, I don't think that I don't think there's a lot that they can do. What I, they can stand pat and still be one of the top two seeds in the East. I'm looking at the standings and looking at teams this year. I think if Rose comes back healthy, depending upon Chicago, has some maneuverability. Chicago is really the only team below that has the possibility of taking a huge jump this summer um, with the acquisition. Um, Toronto, if they can keep all their pieces together has a shot to be decent and kind of consistent where they were, 48, 47, 45 wins. Um, Washington will probably still be – they they have some internal growth to do. They still got Arnold Porter, who may or may not be a decent player, who they can, you know, kind of have develop and maybe give them another element. Um, but Chicago is really the only outside of that top two, Miami and Indiana, outside threat with Derrick Rose coming back and the possibility of – 
maybe bringing in a Kevin Love or bringing in a Carmelo Anthony, depending upon how all that plays out. There's a lot of ifs. Um, so they could stand pat and still be right back where they were this year. Um, the thing that worries me, though, is that watching them play, and this is one of the reasons I wound up rooting for the Heat, is because they were playing bad basketball. I mean, it's just guys are standing around watching on offense. There's some there's some on-the-court chemistry issues with this group, of, this configuration of guys that I think they have to move around. The pieces themselves, when you take the pieces as individuals, you got good players. But as a unit, given the way they are now, there's, there's got to be some – either Frank Vogel has got to figure out how to mesh this all together much better than he did in the playoffs, um, which is still something that can happen. That can happen. We watched it happen with the Miami Heat. They looked rough. Um, not rough in the sense that it was bad basketball, but there wasn't a cohesiveness when they first came together and lost in that first final. Yeah, I, I mean, got I, into that a little bit. Yeah. I, I, I would say, because you're hitting something that I, I would say, so, so I think part of the Pacers issue is um, – is that could be fixed is in the point guard position. And I'm not talking about a, a big-time upgrade. A lot of times when people are talking about point guards, you're like, well, we need a Westbrook type. We need an impact point guard. What they need is a point guard who's used to being a leader. They need, they need a point guard, and there's a couple out here in free agency that I think um, that I think might be able to help them. I mean, even when you think about the Lowry's on the high end, but even someone like the Sean Livingston. You've got Patty Mills out there who's going to be a free agent. This, you know, you've you got, you got, you got a Devin Harris who's been a downgrade, but, you know, it might be a re, you know, he could probably play that type of Iceland offense that can get there. But they need somebody who could actually create easier baskets. You know, I think the, when they decide to go with Hill rather than Collison, that hurt them because I think a, a Collison who knows how to run a team, get into the, into the lane, create easy buckets, is something that they need. And they also need to run an offense that has a lot more continuity. I agree with you. They stand around too much. And that's where, for both these coaches, the biggest growth in the offseason is about to happen with the coaches in terms of the way they approach their coaching, the way that they build their offense, their ability to, to manage rotations. Both of these are two coaches that can grow in those areas. And if they don't grow in those areas, they're not going out – they're not going to out-coach some of these top spoles. They're not going to out-coach spoles. They're not going to out-coach some of these top coaches because they're not going to be able to get the most out of their players. Um, but I think the Pacers have to find a point guard who can run and get them easy baskets. They, they, they don't have that ability right now, and they don't have an offense that creates those kind of opportunities. Yeah, and what I've seen is that the ball is in Georgia Stevenson's hand, hands a lot. Now, getting back to that point about a point guard, and, again, that's why I think there's a ceiling with this team right now, and this team is in a, in a bad spot, is because, as you say, outside of Kyle Lowry, I don't know if Sean Livingston is a championship point guard. I don't know if Patty Mills is a championship point guard. I don't know if those are necessarily upgrades over George Hill. You know what I mean? But I, I don't know. Lowry, Lowry is the only if they do, they run the offense differently. The, you know, George Hill doesn't run the offense. George Hill is like having Steve Kerr running point. If, if you run if yeah. you run a triangle offense, then you can have him. If, if you not run a triangle offense, then he can't be your point. Right. I think right. the upgrade is they can actually run the offense. 
Uh, I mean, this is why Derek Fisher got so many freaking minutes in the playoffs. Derek Fisher is 39 <laughs> years old. Um, he would not be getting these heavy minutes. I mean, there's 16 playoff teams. Probably over half the playoff teams he would not be getting those heavy minutes on. That's a problem when you have one of the best two or three teams in the playoffs. If you have yeah. anybody on the court who would not be getting significant minutes on, you know, half <laughs> or even a fourth of the other teams, that's a problem. So, yeah. And, and, and you could probably throw some lotion and purpose into that equation, too, with guys who probably shouldn't be getting a ton of minutes. Right. Right. And that was really loud, too, when, you know, Scotty Brooks decided to make a lineup change and Cephalosha and Collison, you know, had a couple of do-not-plays co- uh, coaches' decisions. So that right there tells you the quality of where these guys are at. So in my mind, I, you know, I think that's an issue with the Thunder. The other issue is how does this fit between Westbrook and Durant? Because if it was just Durant who was doing these things, I would say, well, Durant needs to figure out what Jordan did. You know, maybe it's not best for you to average 30, 35 points a game in the playoffs. Maybe it's best for you to average 25, 27, and you're getting other guys involved. But that's tough to do when, whenever Durant takes his foot off the gas, he got another yeah. guy that's just clapping his hands and like, oh, more for me. So right, right. <laughs> that's just the dynamic they have to figure out, man. Because you know, I was thinking about it, and I can't think of another combination with two high, high scores on the same team that made it work. I mean, I, I just the shot volume for these guys. These guys can put up sixty shots a game between them. That's a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. I think. I think there's some dead weight that they were using. I, I, it's, it's enough with Perkins. Like, let it go. He's not what he was. Um, and what he was before that was the, the Dwight Howard stopper. You know, he was the one guy in the league who could start Dwight Howard one-on-one, you know, back when Dwight was a real force. Yeah. Now, the, you don't Thunder need that right do now. Have, the Thunder do have some chips they can play with. Specifically, yeah, they do. I could um, – I could see them moving, potentially moving Westbrook and getting back uh, an A to A-plus star back in return, somebody who is good as Westbrook or slightly below plus a draft pick. And if that were to happen, you know, if they got more of a complimentary piece to go with Durant, even if it was a, you know, uh, like a CP3 or something like that, somebody who did not uh, demand as many shots as, as Westbrook or made others – uh, better around um, Durant, <laughs> I think the sky could be the limit. But based on the situation right now, um, I I can see Durant getting better and the team not getting better, and that's a problem. Mm. Well, and I think, and I think because the issue is not him. You know, it's not him carrying the squad. You know, I think it's the the pieces around it. They don't have a very good role players, as you said. I mean, Derek Fisher is logging heavy minutes. And playing a key role, he's like seventy. You know, he's got his yeah, AR but, but I said that's still Scott Brooks. And because if you look at, think about Popovich and Scott Brooks was doing this. His rotation in the regular season wasn't that rotation. And then all of a sudden he got to the playoffs, and some of the young guys who were contributing minutes were way down. 
And so it's that was true. a trust. True. Those guys were producing. And then the other thing is his offense is not very innovative. It, there's no continuity in how he runs it's his crappy. It, it's, it's crappy. crappy. And, and, and so the thing I would do, I got a couple things that I would do. I, I would you got lay to out, lay out. The more, First, offensively, this, again, I said Scott Brooks got some growth to do. His offense has got to be more imaginative. He's got to have more continuity in his offense. He can't just run straight screen and rolls against top teams when you play in a series. It's just not going to work. They can see you. He's got to, he's got to be a little bit more creative offensively. Second, and I was calling for this a couple of weeks ago, then he did it. You, he needs to move. If you're going to creep Westbrook, start Jackson at the point. Yeah, move Westbrook yeah, to the two yeah. And let him do it. And then you can change the rotations because you can pull – Ran out, let Westbrook do his thing. Let Westbrook be your second unit guy, and then you can you can do more with the rotation on that. The next thing is, got to get you what I'm calling a James Edwards guy, the guy that can if you not, if Durant isn't going to work on his post game, you got to get a guy who can possibly do something in the post. You know whether it's a, you know I don't know who it's going to be. You know, it, 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 it is somebody you can get somebody who can just bang down there like a Humphreys or a Hoffa, but you got to get somebody who's going to give you some type of low post presence who can score down there. Because and Durant needs to what he needs to work on is a post game. But part of it is Brooks has got to be creative in how he gets into the post. So it's not just he's just working on his post moves, but he's got to have something where he has some action from the other side of the floor bringing in two to the box in a way that allows for him to get some easy baskets. So he's got to work on his post game, but also Brooks has got to do some things that allow for him to evolve as a post player. And I don't think that's going to happen. And so I, those are some of the things that I think needs to happen. And I think that's, that's not a lot, but that's, just, that's a change in how they approach the way they play. Yeah, because you know, and Westbrook is the is the uh, is the X factor in all of this because I think PhD hit it on the head when he was talking about the two guys who are, I mean, they're definitely top two top ten, two of the top ten players in the league. Um, you got two of the top ten players in the league on the same team at just entering their primes. Both players just entering their primes, um, and yet both players are. And this is what LeBron and D-Wade had to figure out. LeBron and D-Wade had to figure out how to, for two guys who need the ball and have played a lot with the ball in their hands and are most effective with the ball in their hands, how do you play with another guy who's just like that? Um, you got to have a real point guard who decides who's going to get the ball. <laughs> you gotta, the problem you, with this right. equation is Westbrook has the point ball all the time. Exactly. So when you when your point guard is one of those greasy, <laughs> it's one of those greasy cats. <laughs> that's, and, and, and that's where we sit, and that's why we're at where we're at. Is because again we talk about that zero on his jersey on Westbrook jersey. <laughs> Sometimes depends on how many passes he's gonna make on this possession. But you notice when he moved to the two. If, if Scott Brooks really puts his attention not on those two, but on Jackson is developing as a point guard, what yeah. you can do is get him to really determine where you get the ball and the sets to, to which player and work it through Jackson. Then Westbrook just played. See, we, we thought yeah. Westbrook yeah. differently when he was playing the two guard because he can play bigger. When he played two guard, those shots didn't look so out of norm. 
You're like, he's just taking two power shots. But when he's a point, yeah. you're like, you got to think pass first. You know, and so I thought of him differently at the two than I did at the one. The shots didn't look the same when he was the two guy. Yeah. Did it look different to you? I think going yeah. forward, that's why I'm like, you gotta you gotta get rid of Stephanosis. Let, let that ship yeah. just sail. All right? You gotta let move Perk out take Perk out the lineup. That ship just sail. I think right now what they need to do and I, I think again, you 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 said it best. Brooks, his rotation sucked in the in the playoffs. I've watched the Thunder play probably fifteen times during the regular season. Perry Jones, Jeremy Lamb. Ricky Jackson, yes. Stephen Adams, we're giving them good minutes. They need to start starting Stephen Adams, all right? They need to start starting Reggie Jackson. It started five should be Jackson at the point, Westbrook playing off guard, Durant doing his thing at the three, Ibaka and Adams. You got a young, active yeah. lineup. Um, you don't lose anything as far as size. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Westbrook can, play, can guard up. You know, he can guard the one or the two. Yeah. That's not an issue. And then you got Jones, who's a versatile six foot ten, six foot eleven guy coming off the bench to back up and fill out your rotation. And inside, you can throw Collison in there um, as a as a, your fourth big to rotate. And and then you got Lamb coming in when you sub. You know, let's say you sub out Jackson, and now Lamb can come in, or you sub out uh, Durant. That's three. It. You know, and you can play a little smaller lineup with more shooting on the floor, and Westbrook can be the focal point. But Brooks has got to figure out how to manage this group. And I, I feel like he handcuffed those young guys by not yes. giving them that run in the playoffs. Like, yes. you lost anyway. At least you could have lost and got some growth out of those dudes, you know. Because, yes. I, I, again, you, you're right. Patty Mills, what was Patty Mills' with scared time money. Right He played with scared money. I'm like, you yes. playing with scared money. You ain't going to win like that against Pop Fitz with scared money. Popovich will play guys. I mean, Aaron, Aaron, uh, Baines. I mean, this dude is this dude is a nobody. I mean, this dude is literally a nobody. But Pop leaned on him, developed him. Pop knows exactly what he can run. And that's the other thing. Pop knows what this guy can run, what he can run when this guy's on the court. And so Pop just don't do that. You feel me? And so yeah. that's the difference between Brooks and Pop. Is Pop set himself up to be able to use these guys in the playoffs, but Brooks. He didn't, and that's where you know he kind of he kind of lost for his team. So I think I think you, you both had some great points on OKC. It'll be interesting to see what they do because as PhD pointed out, they have chips where the Pacers don't. They got some chips that they can use. You know, I'm reading an article right now about the Cavs going to put up the number one pick. Maybe 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 Kyrie's in play. You know. Maybe and nah, they don't want to do that. You don't want to bring in Deion Waiters. That's just more the same. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Westbrook and Waiters might kill each other. <laughs> but you know, maybe looking around, they look at you know how can they move move in position to get uh, um, a Rondo or somebody like that, even you know who mm-hmm. may be may be available. Um, there's, there's some there's some moves that they can make. I think I. And Pat, though, you know, when I look at the West, um, you know, in the East, I think the Pacers could stand Pat and probably find themselves no worse than third next year. Oklahoma City, I don't know if they can necessarily um, 
be the same team. And what I mean by that is those younger guys got to take a step. All three right. of those younger guys, all four of those younger guys, Adams, Jackson, Jones, and uh, uh, Lamb, have all got to take a big step next year. If they do, watch out. If they don't, ugh, I think it's going to be another – I don't know if they'll be in the same spot. Portland is going to get better. Um, Golden State, I think, is going to continue to get better. Um, mm-hmm. Houston is going to get better having a year together under their belt. The Clippers are going to get better with a year together, uh, two years now under their belt and a year under Doc. Um, those are all teams that are going to be better. Memphis, I think, is still going to be very good. And then you look out on the outside, Phoenix is going to improve. You know, they have a very young team that's still coming together. They're going to be a better squad. And then San Antonio is probably going to be winning 60 games again next year. I mean, just just book it now. All right? They're probably winning the 60 games. So, you know, OKC, they're still trying to figure out how to replace Harden's production. In the end, that's what this boils down to, is they're still trying to figure out how to replace Harden's production. Um, they haven't quite figured that out. Uh, and I think that's what's missing right now for the, for that group of guys. But we're going to transition real quick. Get listen to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG, Renegade Radio. We're about to pay some bills. Resistance Digital Solutions. Are you tired of running to the boys in blue? Are you done with listening to sales staff trying to upsell you technology that you don't need? We've all been there. So, what did the real sports guys do? We contacted Resistance Digital Solutions for all our technology needs. They are not there to meet sales quotas or make profit margins. They simply just want to sell you what you need at a fair price. From iPads to PCs to flat screens, TVs, or intricate home theater systems, they customize every solution based on your needs. Check out their website at www.resistancedigital.com or email them at sales at resistancedigital.com for your custom technology solutions today. Yes, sir. Make sure you hit up our man, LR. Uh, fellas, let's go ahead and get in our Resistance Digital Dog of the Week. The Dog of the Week is a segment of the show where the real sports guys highlight a performer who has been a true dog. And when I say dog, I don't mean D-O-G, dog. I mean D-W-A-G, dog, uh, meaning that this person has dominated in their field, has, 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 has done something, has stepped their game up to another level, has taken control over situations. That's being a dog, RSG-style dog. So you guys know how it goes. Uh, I'm going to start with you, PhD. We need more dogs. All right, D. Wills. Well, I'm going to go. Uh, we need more I'm, dogs. This is, back, this, is, this, is, this, is back, this is back to the future on it. And um, I'm going to go with the big fundamental. We think about Tony Parker going down. They had to get this victory. And in the final minutes, it was like we went back to his young days. And that turnaround that kind of dribbled around the rim and just it, 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 it hit, it hit the bottom was incredible. Uh, he just went to work. Um, Tim Duncan is my dog of the week. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, I'll drop my dog of the week. We need more dogs. My dog of the week is Shelly Sterling. (laughs) 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 
Let me break it down. If you haven't been keeping up with the whole Sterling saga, and I wish it would just go away. I wish all these people would go away. Um, but Shelly made moves. I mean, chess moves. First, she had lawyers come in and deem Donald Sterling mentally unfit to run the family trust. Checkmate. <laughs> then that gave her the power to then be able to go out and seek. Then she made a, a deal with the NBA that if she was able to sell the team, that they would not get sued by Donald Sterling. Then she found a sucker to pay $2 billion for the Los Angeles, <laughs> wait for it, wait for it, the Los Angeles, Lay, no, Clippers. They they bought the clip, not the Lakers. They bought the Clippers <laughs> for $2 billion. <laughs> Checkmate, game, knock all the pieces off the board, win a winning chicken dinner. Shelly Sterling just ran, the, just ran the table. She just ran the pool hall on that one. I mean, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? $2 billion for the L.A. Clippers? The Clippers, the lottery every year, <laughs> Clippers. Oh man! And 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 what's what's so great about this story? What's got me cracking up about this situation is now Donald Ster- Donald Sterling is every time somebody accuses him of something, all right, he goes out and proves it. He was accused of being, uh, you know, the, the tape came out and people were accusing him of being racist. But what did he do? He goes on TV and does an interview that basically proves that he's he's a bigot. <laughs> so Shelly Sterling has a group of lawyers deem him mentally unfit to run the family trust. So what did he then do? After she sells the team for two billion dollars, half at least half of which he will get, he's going to sue her, which is going to cost him money because he's got to pay his lawyers for a however long court battle when if he did nothing, he would come out in the black. At least the deal. You're not mentally fit, brother. <laughs> if you can't do that math, you're not mentally fit. So a billion or let me keep paying out the nose and lawyer fees. You, I mean, you, you, in one scenario, you're gaining. In one scenario, you're paying. One scenario, you're getting paid. One scenario, you're paying other people. Bruh. Again, that, that dude, he, 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 his lawyers are getting over on him right now. Because if nothing happens, they're the only people that don't get paid. All right? Mm-hmm. The only people that don't get paid, if they just leave everything as it is right now, the only people that's not getting paid is Donald Sterling's lawyers. If they go to court, guess who's getting paid? Donald Sterling's lawyers. This is, they're taking advantage of that old man. That's all I'm saying. Dude just needs to sit down, chill out. So shout out to Shelly Sterling. I'm, 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 I'm done. D with uh, PAD. <laughs> we need more My dogs. My dog of the week is Rashard Lewis. Uh, in the game, in that real close game they lost where LeBron had a horrible game, um, Rashard Lewis dropped six threes. And the, the two games before, he was getting minutes with the Birdman out, but he was missing wide-open shots. He was contributing other ways. 
But I kept getting nervous, like, like this guy needs to step into this Mike Miller role. He needs to make open shots. And so the last two games of the series, including game five, in which he was uh, had a six for nine for three, I was really happy to see him make those open shots. Um, I think he and Bosch are the key for the Heat going into the finals. Well, for sure. That's a good pick because I thought he was dead. Uh, I didn't know what happened to Rashad. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He came on the I was like, oh, he's still alive? I ain't even know. I thought he was dead. Man, I thought that boy was dead. Nah, uh, shout out to Rashad Lewis, though. Uh, and that's the beauty about the Miami Heat and the way their roster is set up. They just need one guy to have one good game every series. You know, a couple years ago it was Battier with Bonkers. Last year it was Mike Nook with Bonkers. They just need one one of those shooters to have a night, and that's all she wrote. Good call there. So now we're kind of transitioning in. We talked about the losers in the, in the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. Let's talk about the winners, the guys who actually won. You feel me? The guys <laughs> who played to win the game. The guys who won the games. So the Miami Heat. Are they are they a dynasty? This is four straight finals. PhD, I want, I want, I'm going to go to you first. Are the Miami Heat a dynasty? I think so. Um, but there's no question that they win a third championship that they are. If you look at what we've called dynasties in other sports, you know, we've called the Patriots dynasties. Um, you know, we, we called... Uh, <clears throat> the Patriots dynasty, and they uh, – did they ever win two in a row? Maybe once? I I don't know, but – I don't think they, they ever have won two in a row. No. I mean, they got to the finals. They got to the Super Bowl. In basketball, we always – you know, it used to be you went back-to-back. That's, that's, that's what was up. You know, in the 80s, when the Lakers won back-to-back, that was the first time in years a team that did that. But then we got spoiled because the Pistons did it. And then, of course, the the Bulls did it, you know, twice, three times, twice. And so now we see back-to-back is, ah, it's okay, it's all right, we're spoiled. We are spoiled. We may not see a team win another back-to-back championship. I mean, we could go 20, 30 years, you know, like they did before the Lakers did it. And all of a sudden the Lakers did it, we're excited. Now with the with the Heat, we just don't want to give them the full credit. So, I feel like they're a dynasty. They got to the finals. This will be the fourth straight year. Even if they don't win this year, which I do expect they will, um, it's nothing to spit at, man. It's not. All right. All right. So you vote in dynasty for the uh, for the, um, the Heat, D-Wills. Are the Heat a dynasty? Um, I, I think if they win, if they win uh, this third one, you could say it, but I would say if you reframe it under Pat Riley, are they a dynasty? If you think about um, what's happened under his tenure, um, if you book in from, you know, Wade's first part of his career to right now, um, it really pushes his franchise to the elite level. If you think about it under the Pat Riley, you know, kind of um, uh, over uh, over his uh, oversight. Uh, but if they win this one, I, I, I would say – in this era, they're a dynasty. Okay. 
I'm going to vote with uh, – I'm, I'm rolling with PhD. I think they're a dynasty given what they've done thus far. Four straight finals trips, um, winning two out of three of the previous finals. Um, if they get the third, great. If they don't, again, this is, four straight trips hasn't been done in 27-some years. Yeah. All right? Since uh, the, the Celtics in the 80s, nobody has gone four straight trips. So that in itself um, puts this group in a class. And, again, it makes the whole joke that people used to go to back when the Heat first lost, uh, when they lost that first finals. And it was one of my favorites. Was it not one, not two, not three? <laughs> I love I, – I, 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 that was one of my go-to jokes. I can't use that one anymore. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, yeah, that was expired. That was expired. I can't use that one anymore. They were uh, – and taking that one out of and put a bullet in it. Yeah, they put a bullet in that one. Um, Marcus, that was your Facebook. I mean, that was your whole Facebook being for like a year. You know, oh, yeah. you see a picture. Oh, yeah. You know, you know, you see a picture of Wade and Bar to Bar, uh, Wade and Bosh at the Bar. You know, of course. Oh, it must be the fourth quarter. Where's LeBron? You know, I mean, it was right. just all this ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous stuff. I mean, it was, it was so fun. ridiculous, man. It was fun while it lasted. <laughs> we gonna actually have to put together a package. I can say, I can say, in here, I can say, I took full advantage of it. I took full advantage of it. I enjoyed yeah, every minute yeah. of it. It, it. Now, now it's something else. It's something else now, and I, I, I totally admit that that they are they ain't who we thought they were. All right, they figured it out. These guys play very well together. Um, what do you think? Let's start to break down this series between where what we have to say. I mean, if if we're gonna give is it, okay, I'll throw it out there. If the Heat are a dynasty and we've qualified the Heat as a dynasty, are the San Antonio Spurs a dynasty? Uh, D. Wills, I'll start with you first. I, I give the same thing. I think if they win this one, you know, um, you know, I, I think you already have to put them there if you look at the body of work of Duncan over his tenure. But if they win this one, then I think, you know, over the Duncan-Popovich tenure, you know, for their – in the last 10, 15 years, you know, winning the number the number of finals with the it's six finals, you know, it would be, what, five championships, something like that, four or five. You know, I think that puts them in that dynasty over that period of time, I would say. A lot of this, would, both teams depend less for the Spurs because of, I think, what they've done over their tenure. But would if they win this championship, I would say they're a dynasty. Okay. All right. And, yeah, they're five, uh, five championships in six years. Um, no, no, no. Four championships and five five trips to the finals. Four championships. Yep. They they had they were four and zero. They lost last year for the first time. So this is trip six. Um, yep. So we'll see what they come out with. Um, the uh, PhD. What say you? Or what's your verdict on the San Antonio Spurs being a dynasty? They're a dynasty. They haven't really got me much excited about their dynasty, but they are, and that's all I have to say about it. Hey, it goes back to, and one day I'm gonna, one day I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a whole segment on the show where I do rapper, ball player, and I'm gonna take a rapper's career and line it up with a basketball player's career. I've already kind of started this idea. I got some notes. I gotta flesh it out a little bit more, but I got some notes. And Eminem and Tim Duncan for me are the same career trajectory. 
fundamentally one of the most gifted to ever engage in their particular craft. Um, some people like it. It was never really for me. <laughs> in both cases, do I respect what they do? Absolutely. They both of them have had great runs in the 2000s. I mean, from '99 to now, both of them have. You know, Eminem got album platinum, double platinum, triple platinum, quadruple platinum, album after album, Grammy after Grammy, Duncan, all NBAs, all defense, all stars, championships, all of it. As you just said, PhD hasn't really moved my needle at all. <laughs> In both <laughs> cases, you know, I, I own zero Eminem albums of retail. You know, I've downloaded some in the last couple of years. I've downloaded some to go back and just kind of say, was I really off on this dude? And I was. I, I just, I just, it's just not for me. You know, I love my mama. <laughs> dude, 80% of his early material is how he hates mama. <laughs> I, I can't relate. But he apologized for the most recent album. He did something for it. I can't relate, I man. I can't relate. He, he finally came to terms with it on his last album, I, you know, but, you know, his early work, 80% of it was my I hate my mama songs. And, you know, I love my mama, so I, I, I just couldn't get down with that. But is he skilled? Is he talented? Absolutely. Um, and, I, and that's how I feel about the San Antonio Spurs, and in particular Tim Duncan and what he's done. Um, what did you make of this so-called trash talk um, by Duncan? You know, everybody's everybody's talking about how, you know, he's, he's turned over a new leaf because he's, he's, he got divorced and he's got a new woman in his life, and, you know, he's getting his hair cut. Now you see he got a little taper. Yeah, I, did y'all catch that? <laughs> he gets his little cuckoo bush tapered up on the sides now. <laughs> the streets are saying that's because you got a new woman. <laughs> you know, now on top of that, you know, he's showing he's showing emotion in games, talking trash. As, as this is supposed to be trash. I mean, it's all relative, I guess. But this is supposedly mm. now he's talking trash because he's got a new woman. So, <laughs> mm. but I don't know if y'all caught that man. He's got he's going to a barber shop now. You know, before it looked like he was, he was hooking himself up. <laughs> no lining. <laughs> No lining in the front. You know, you got the Eddie Monster just kind of growing all over his eyebrows. <laughs> so, what do you, PhD? What do you make of the, the quote-unquote trash talk uh, that Duncan has thrown out towards the Heat? Do you even call it trash talk? That's the first question. Is that trash talk to you? No. It's a non-story. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. I, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. D. Wills, what do you think of it? What do you make of it? Oh, oh, I think it's a non-story, but I do think it, it, it's a probably indication of how close he, he knows he is to the end. Um, and I, I think that game, you know, six loss, the way that all happened was painful for him. You can see it on his face. The loss was painful for him, and um, and it also, I think it shows the respect he also has for LeBron and how LeBron. I mean, you can see there how they embrace. But I, I think there's more of a reaction for him of how close he knows he doesn't have to be. He knows this might be the final run. And so I, I think, you know, sometimes when you've just been cool all these years, sometimes you let little people see a little other side of you. Um, and I think that's more reflection that he knows he's closer to the end and, you know, what's less guarded about it. Which, which is is going to say a lot about how it's, how he's going to be focused in this series. Okay, so in your perspective, this is him 
going rock him and taking the hole in the speaker before he before he jets. That's it. You know, he's like I kind of been chilled out all my all this time. Maybe that had to do with the relationship. Maybe it's the newfound freedom. But I think he's embracing the moment because my feeling is if they don't win it this time, I don't know if he got another run in. Especially if it's a tough one. Okay. Okay, so let's so let's break this down. Let's start talking about this. You know, um, the different levels of, of this particular matchup. You have San Antonio coming in um, with a lot of moving parts. There are a lot of pieces to this San Antonio team. Um, you know, of course, you got the core of Ginobili, Parker, and Duncan, um, with Kawhi Leonard joining that group. Um, but outside of that, you have Patty Mills, Danny Green. Um, Tiago Splitter, Boris Diaw, uh, and then you guys got got mainstays like Matt Bonner, uh, and then the new kid Aaron Baines. Uh, so they have a lot of pieces that they move in and out of this particular lineup. It'll be interesting to see which guys actually play. The key, though, the puppet master to this all is Pop, and this becomes when you start to go Pop versus Spo. Who you taking, PhD, in this matchup? You know, Popovich right now is the puppet. Is the, he's the ultimate puppet master. But Spo, over the last three seasons, four seasons of this big three experiment in Miami, he has grown leaps and bounds as a coach, um, as a manager of, and and the way he his rotations are, he does a great job with his rotations. Um, he knows his personnel, and he gets the right people on the floor when he needs it. And he and he he's done a good job of finding that right dude, and he's done it time and time again, finding that right guy with that hot hand and riding that dude out. That's why Rashard Lewis can hit six threes because Spo knows this is night. I don't care what my rotation was before this, he's staying in. <laughs> so Spo versus Pop, who are you taking? You know, last year I said Spo- I'm, I'm sorry, I said Popovich, and this was the third time that Spolcher was going to the finals. <laughs> Devon brought up something a few weeks ago that I brought up last week that had me crack it up. He said that uh, that uh, Hibbert must have some pictures on Vogel because Vogel's sticking with him too much. <laughs> and... <laughs> And to me, that that's the turn that Spolster made last season, was that if you aren't producing, he can make a move. And and to me, that speaks to what he's doing in practice. He's getting these guys ready. He's keeping them motivated. Um, and he's giving them run in practice to give not only them, like Rashard Lewis, confidence, but others confidence in Lewis. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's a draw right now. I really can't – I don't see any strategic advantage on either end. I really don't. Okay. And that's a okay. credit to both of them. I was going to say, I, I, think that, I, don't, I don't think you're sliding anybody with that particular statement. D. Wills, how do you feel about the matchup between the coaches? It's funny. I mean, I was just listening to a Ph.D., and I had, I had been doing my notes for this segment, and I, I, say, I said I think it's even because – each coach is exactly what their team needs. It's um, last year before the, it was over. You know, a lot of people had Popovich, but I think Spoke grew up a lot 
in this matchup because facing Popovich for a person like Spo, I mean, that's ultimate kind of Zen master moment. And when you win, it's like you move to a new space of confidence. So not only LeBron got confidence, but he got confidence as a tactician. Um, and I thought he was already good at it. Um, I think this year you just have really seen a level of comfort, even more comfort in his moves. And I think the key is you, I think people get underestimated him because he got that baby face look. But he liked that baby face assassin. But you're right, Pop is the ultimate poker player. <laughs> Not just the puppeteer, but he's got he got a poker game because the and we'll talk about this. The, the thing he masters is he puts all these different pieces in, but it's really the same thing. Like he wants these shots from the corner, but you put Bonner over there and he's seven foot versus Danny Green, but it's still the same shot. You see what I'm saying? They put the lineups in. You bring Patty Mills in, he's basically a, a, a poor man's version uh, 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 of, our, of, our, of, our, of our great point guard, Pierre Wee Wee. And so, you know, he's doing <laughs> the same movements, right? He, he's doing the same movements. He just with different players. Because if you look at the shots come from the same spots in the floor, right? So he's the ultimate – like, like he's like a guy with a, you know, with, you know, he's got, he's got a bad hand of poker. You think he's got, you know, all aces, but he's still running the same game. And so they both are great in that way. It's going to be about the minor adjustments, I think, between these two. It's about when you bring some of these guys in the game. It's about extending pressure to disrupt the offense. Those little minor moves, I think, are going to make the difference uh, between these two. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of going just slightly, just slightly um, towards Pop. And the reason I'm going towards Pop is because Pop has figured out how to effectively run a motion in the NBA, uh, which is crazy mm-hmm. when you think about how smart guys are. Yeah. But he has figured out how to run a lot of continuity. He's got his team to buy into it, and it's really tough to deal with. And I think it gives him a tactical advantage in most situations because, you, as you just said, you don't know where he's going to put his pieces, but it's yep. still all the same. You know, yep. with most NBA offenses, you can tell if you watch if you watch a couple of games, three or four or five games, you can tell where they want to get certain guys the ball. LeBron isolated at the top of the key is a nightmare. And so they're going to try and get LeBron in those situations where he's isolated at the top of the key. Durant at the elbow, you don't want that. All right? You just don't. You don't want no parts of that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, Dirk, 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 in, uh, Dirk in the short corner. Yep. Just go ahead and run back on defense. You know, there are certain areas where you know teams set up their offenses to get guys the ball. And, you know, there really isn't that in his system. You know, his system is about the ball moving all over the place. And as you said, interchangeable skill sets with different parts. And that's what's, the, that's what's interesting about the San Antonio team is that the skill sets are the same. The parts are different. You know, you got this, a similar skill set with a, with a 7 foot or 6'10 guy that you would with a 6'7 guy, you know. Yep. Uh, and then you got a guy like Diaz who has this crazy skill set in a six foot eight 
you know, Corliss Williamson looking body. Yeah. You know, <laughs> pear shaped body. <laughs> you know, Dion got that pear shaped body. <laughs> well, like, man, he looked like man, he got white for the first NBA 2K, they would literally make cats look like they were pears. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, bro, you got the wide hips for a dude. What are you doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that's me out. So I give Pop a slight advantage. But, again, the thing I love I love about Spolster is that, as you, you put it, you, you said, you guys said it perfect, he keeps – everybody engaged and all his guys trust that there's going to be a time when they're needed. And because they trust that they stay engaged, they stay locked in, and he's not afraid to put. So as we're moving through, I know we're talking about the old uh, 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 Popovich and coaching and everything else. It's been, it's been incredible uh, in terms of uh, uh, the series and trying to, uh, you know, think about what what's going to happen next. Now, uh, Phil T. One of the things that I want to try to one of the things I want to think about is as we're moving in. You know, we on both sides of the equation we have the big three. Now they're a little bit different big three, and it's like a three and a half and a four. But when you think about the the big three in terms of the leadership of these two teams. You know, there some of them are aging, and people debate whether or not they're three or whatever. But we kind of know those names of Ginobili, Parker, and Duncan. You know, we know D Wade, Le- LeBron, and Bosh. When you think about those three and the impact, how do you evaluate? You know, how they're going to come in, and you know, just what impact do you think those big three need to have in their different ways? As you think about Miami versus San Antonio. Well, you know, I think the the unique thing about both of these teams, big three, is that they all know their role. They all know how to mm-hmm. play their part. They all understand the hierarchy of things. And for me, I'm looking at LeBron. Mm. LeBron, you know, if you go back to 07 or 08, whenever the Cavs play against the Spurs, the Spurs really – ran a number of LeBron because they pretty much said, beat us from the outside, beat us from the perimeter. And then mm-hmm. they did the same last year. They, But LeBron had improved his perimeter game so much, once he got comfortable and got in the groove, he was fine. But the first game and the third game, LeBron was a little bit hesitant with that jump shot. Mm-hmm. To, me, to me, LeBron has to be ready for whatever that, that they throw at him. And he has to understand that, the Miami Heat are the best is when he takes his spots and be and becomes very aggressive. Mm-hmm. He can't go back to what he did against the Mavericks in terms of deferring. And, you know, I, I saw a little bit of this, Devon, in that game five that they were trying to close out the Pacers when he got in so much foul trouble. Um, the entire yeah. fourth quarter, you know, when he was able to play, when he was on the bench, he was kind of in this deference mode. He was – yeah. And I'm not talking about the last shot because I like the, the play that he did and he got boshed that last second shot that could have won mm-hmm. the game. But just throughout the fourth quarter, um, I didn't like what I saw from him because he wasn't as aggressive as he was, say, in game six. So yeah. 
I think both the big threes know their role. I I think that the thing about the Spurs' big three is that they don't let like they let the game come to them. Mm-hmm. And Dwayne Wade has kind of done that too, and Bosch has done that too. Like they let the game come to them. LeBron is the one guy of the six though that I think needs to press the issue. Yeah, and when I look at it, and I was trying to put this kind of in a musical framework, you know, Miami is big three is a lot like Destiny Child. You know, uh, LeBron is like Beyonce. But when they harmonize, and the, you know, when they Destiny Child, when they all kind of play in their role, and they all can lead, sing on a song or two, you know, but Beyonce got to be Beyonce, right? Whereas, you know, San Antonio is like we are the world. There's a lot, there were a lot of solid uh, moments in the song. You know, Michael going to have his moment. Everybody kind of had their moments throughout the song, but you knew somebody was going to do something at each part of the song. You didn't know who was, we first heard we had a world. You're like, so who's all these folks they got? Somebody going to step up on this song. And that's kind of how San Antonio is. You know, you know you're going to get a Michael moment out of, out of uh, uh, you know, uh, Parker or, or, or Duncan. But you also know you're going to get some of these other moments with these great singers we're singing out of some of these other. Ginobili going to have his moment. And so they got much more contributors to the song. But Destiny Child, those three got to sing. Yeah, they're going to have a band playing. Yeah, they might, get, they might have a guest uh, 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 rapper on it hitting with the hook. They might have some other producer on it. But at the end of the day, those three got to sing and dance, right? And that's kind of how I, I look at it. And if they all go at it, then – you know, you, you, you never know what you're going to get. So I think that's kind of how this is going to play out in which style is going to win. Is it going to be the without a world style? Or is it going to be that, that, uh, uh, is it going to be that Destiny Child? Or those three, and you got a lot of people accompanying, setting up the music in the background, helping with the production. But it's really about those three. Whereas we are the world, we got a lot of different folks contributing to it. The message is what it's all about. We got a great producer in, in Quincy Jones, Popovich. But, at the, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be a community effort. You know, that's the part you have to see is going to work out in these, in these two styles. But they're both great, right? They both have the potential for greatness. And that's what I'm excited about because they, they lead a little bit differently. They know their role. I think you hit it right on there. You know, um, the, the, their style of play, how they're going to get at you is going to be a little bit different. But they're, they're, they, they, all, they both have that kind of championship pedigree. So... When you think about the intangibles, let's quote that one. When you think about the intangibles, what are your what are your um, the intangibles that um, uh, that you're you think might be in play with this? I think the team that makes the most open shots will be the team that wins. I say that because both teams have pretty much constructed their their lineups that have guys that can make open shots. Yeah. You look at you look at the Heat, um, Chalmers and Cole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those two guys each game are going to get five to seven open looks from three. That's right. You look at guys like Battier, um, as well as Lewis, if they go small. Those guys are going to get five to seven open looks from three. Mm-hmm. So that right there, on any given game, those two positions, 
Um, you're looking at 10 to 14 wide-open shots because of the greatness that's around them on offense. In the games in which the Heat shoot under 50% of those open shots, that's when they're really grinding. Um, mm-hmm. But when they get it going, when they get it going, um, they're not beatable when they're making those yeah. open jump shots. And, you know, you, you can easily throw on Ray Allen, too. Yeah. The, the thing about the Spurs, and uh, before long we probably need to get into our predictions, but yeah. um, the thing about the Spurs is that, to me, they're at their best when they're moving the ball around. Mm-hmm. And they got stagnant at certain places last year. And I yeah. think that's what really hurt them. <laughs> like, watching them play against Oklahoma City when they were on, I mean, that ball was snapping all over the place, man. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I I think those are the most, in, like, intangible things. Uh, just a really, really simple, boiled-down approach. Who's going to make more open shots? And, and, and I think I think you hit something really good, and I think that's where they had trouble against OKC, uh, OKC is is the ability to close back out. When, when OKC went to that lineup with Jackson, they could get back out to shots that they weren't able to get to when they had that bigger lineup in. I think that's what Miami does as well as anyone. They can get back and close out on shots on you and get into your space. And San Antonio didn't look like they reacted very well to that type of basketball. Um, and that's something that Miami does well. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how they react when, you know, a team that can hit those rotations and really defend on the perimeter like that. Um, that that's going to be interesting to see how they, they do that. We got we got the game changer back in the building. We're going to move to some predictions. So game changer, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to hit you a little bit to get a feel for how you um, – you, uh, you, you're feeling about this. All right, so let's go ahead and, uh, well, let's go ahead and get into our predictions. Um, let's start there. So predictions for the series, I got three places we want to make, three predictions I want, I want, I want to make, all right? Uh, first, I want your big game role player. We all know in every finals there is one, maybe two games where a role player just plays out of their mind. Last year, Danny Green, Mike Miller, um, Ray Allen hitting that clutch shot, where a role guy does something amazing to help his team win. Um, That's going to happen. So give me your your, your impact role player. Then give me your finals MVP, all right? The player you think of the big-name big guys is going to be the most valuable, most important, most outstanding of this particular uh, finals, and then lastly, give me your winner, and then how many games? D. Wills, go. All right, my role player. Uh, and I've been going back and forth. I think it's going to be Rashad Lewis. I think this is what makes Bo so great. He started working on this two weeks ago for this moment, and people forget Lewis has had big moments, and he's got size. I think he's going to have a moment. And this is back to what PhD just said. There's going to be some open looks. You start to see him in the last two games. I think he scored 30 points in the last two games. If he can get going, I think he's going to have one big game, and he'll cause problems for San Antonio. Um, in terms of the MVP, I think, it's, I think it's going to be Brian. I said it, if you let him get two, it is a problem. He's going to have a certain level of confidence and calmness that could be a problem. 
And I think people are going to see the LeBron moment they've been waiting for. And then the win, I think uh, Miami does it in six. I mean, we go back to San Antonio, it could be some problems. I think Miami does it in six. Okay. All right. We've heard G. Wills weigh in, Ph.D. It is your turn. The key statistic will be Bosch. The over and under is at seven and a half for him, for me. The tops and O over and under. If Bosch averages six, or I'm sorry, eight free throws a game, I think the Heat win. In terms of role players, I'm going to go with Norris Cole. Offensively, I think he's going to make some big shots and have a big game or two. But defensively, he's going to be responsible for covering um, Parker and also covering Mills, whoever's the healthiest and gets the biggest minutes. I think like we've seen him eat away minutes from Chalmers for that reason, that he does a better job keeping guys in front of him. I think LeBron James will be the MVP, and I like the Heat in seven games, um, and I see them being down 3-1 coming back, possibly. Okay. All right. Okay. I like, I, I'm with both on this. Uh, I'll give mine. Um, my impact role player, um, I'm going to go with Tiago Splitter. Uh, I think he is the uh, – for the Spurs, I think he's kind of their mystery man, their X factor. If he's having a good game, he makes them very difficult to deal with. Um, they're already tough to deal with, but when he gets going, he adds that fifth player to the mix um, that just becomes a tough matchup. Um, and then for Miami, we know seven-footers uh, can give them some issues just because they don't have um, a whole lot of size to throw at, to throw at a, a big guy. Um, my... MVP, uh, I think LeBron will win the award. I think the guy that's going to be the barometer um, for how this series goes is Dwayne Wade. Um, if he is right and he is doing Dwayne Wade-like things, Miami should win. Uh, Miami will win. Um, if his knees get creaky, if, his, if he's not able to kind of be what he has been so far in these playoffs, um, if he's not able to play up to the level that they need him to be at, which is why they rested him for 28 games, um, that's going to be a problem for Miami. They need him to be flash. They need him to be D-Wade. They need him to be all of those things that he is supposed to be as one of the top ten players in the league. The series will go seven games, and Miami will win in seven on the road in San Antonio, and they will complete the three-peat. Not one, not two, not three. <laughs> so good for you, Marcus. Good for you, man. Hey, hey, I'm rehabbing, man. I'm rehabbing. <laughs> I'm come back. I'm trying to come back from it, man. Um, so that that's it. I mean, we broke it down. So that's what we. we we all got the heat, right? If I if I yeah. caught that correct. Yeah, both of you and seven. Everybody. And eight. All right, so we got. So we'll see how this goes. Um, this is going going to be an epic series, I think. Um, last year's series was great. Um, it gave us 
some of the best finals moments that we've seen in recent memory. Um, and I'm looking forward for more. These are two very competitive teams. These are two champions. I mean, you have two champions. You have a newly established dynasty going against a aged, like, fine wine dynasty. I mean, a dynasty that's 15 years deep. Uh, this is going to be a beautiful thing. So all you basketball fans out there, get your popcorn ready, to quote uh, Terrell Owens. Uh, this is going to be a great series. Uh, let's close out with the XL Academics last word. Uh, D. Wills, I mean, yeah, D. Wills, you got 90 seconds. Lock in and, and lock in and let it go. Well, fellas, I, first of all, I want to say it's a pleasure to be back in the uh, in the building with y'all. You know, like it's like it's like my therapy each week. I hope everybody is enjoying it. Uh, I want to thank Hank for being on the show with us last week. It was uh, good to yeah. have him there, energy back, um, and uh, we're excited because you know we've had a lot of listeners um, listening to uh, our Inside the Park, which was a great show. Um, it focused on baseball, and uh, RJ and Mike and Hank did an uh, incredible uh, a job with that show. And, and so we're going to bring back a small iteration of that. I've been in a lab with my guy, Hank. We bring it back inside the park with Hank. We're going to try and find a way to get the other fellows back in cage, but Hank is ready to carry that torch. We're going to start right after all-star break. It's RJ. We're building big, y'all. You better come with us. That does it for this edition of the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG Renegade Radio. We are signing off for for now, and we'll be back next week. Uh, Until then, peace.